your work life, all of our work lives. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. Striving to get ahead, to move up. I don't know if it's the, certainly the American way. Is it a worldwide phenomenon? I don't know. But I think it's an unexamined phenomenon. You know, of course there are advantages of moving up, but there are advantages of moving down, and there's advantages of staying put. And so I thought in, the, in my spirit of always wanting to provide the full, full range of perspectives, I want to lay out what I think are the major pros and cons of striving to move up, the thought of moving down, and those benefits of staying put. And then I'll invite you to call in and maybe tell me about your own experiences, your own desires to move up or down, or you're not sure and you would like uh, maybe a little uh, probing questioning to help you figure out what the heck you really want to do. Um, so, but first, the there obviously there are pros of aiming to strive higher, ambition, move up higher. Of course, there's money, but of course, half of what you get in the extra money is taxed at your top rate, which here in California ends up being typically over 50% when you include federal, state, FICA, uh, workers' comp, uh, disability, uh, Medicare, uh, etc. So, um, you know, the money difference is very often illusory. Another pro of moving up is prestige. And, of course, the plus side is we're, we're all subject to wanting to feel, I don't know, well-regarded by society, to have a job title that's more respected rather than less. But, of course, on the other side of that is it's illusory. Prestige is, you know, it's ineffable. Um, and yet we, you know, many of us strive for it, and it's certainly uh, A-plus, ethereal or, or real, uh, for many people, many people would rather be the director than the assistant director. Not all, but many. Certainly, they like the prestige of the title. They may not like the additional work. Another a plus of moving up is you have more control of your life. Generally, you know, if you are a wage slave, you're told what to do by the bosses. And the higher up you go, the more control you have. But even, you know, I, I, I've had a lot of very senior executives and college presidents and the like, and frankly, they don't feel like they have that much control of their lives. They're still controlled by the government, like I think about the college presidents, there can, which, is, which would be equally applicable to ex- executives in the, in the foreign nonprofits and government sectors. They still have laws, they have myriad laws that they have to become aware of and follow. They have boards of directors who are, are very often dictate formally or informally what, they want, the, what the, they want the big executive to do. You've got supervisees who complain and will sue. Uh, in the case of college presidents, it's the faculty senates will uh, exert all kinds of pressure and votes of no confidence and actually try to get rid of the president. So even at the top level, you don't have a great deal of control. But I think arguably, at least, you have more control over your life uh, if you've moved up than if you haven't. So another, uh, at least ostensible pro of moving up is you do have greater influence. Influence, at its best, of course, for societal good. You know, if you are the uh, the president of the United States or you are the, uh, you know, vice president for operations, you have some say in terms of maybe the product, the services, the 
the way in which your workers work, the way in which your workers are treated. And um, we all feel like we want to make a difference. And, you know, some people feel that the way to make a difference is very, quote, progressive. And others feel the way to make a difference is to return to uh, um, simpler and different times, uh, the conservative approach. But certainly many, certainly most people would argue that having, moving up gives you a greater chance to influence over others. Um, And in terms of moving up, this may be the best time. Um, we are at the lowest employment rate in 50 years, so if you ever wanted to move up, this is probably as good a time as any because the job market is great for job seekers. Now, the advantages of moving down. Generally, the work is easier, fewer reports, less complexity, usually, not always. Uh, and therefore, if it's easier, you have a greater probability of success, less likely to feel the imposter syndrome, which can make anybody feel insecure. Your hours are likely to be shorter, and if you work longer hours, you're more likely to get overtime pay in a more entry-level position, paradoxically, in American society. If you moved up the ladder, you don't get overtime, but if you're at the bottom, you do get overtime pay. Um, and finally, if, if you're moving down, it's probably easier to have work-life balance, and maybe even weighting it toward the life part of work-life balance or you know, the personal life. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, would rather have a job where they're done at 5 o'clock and uh, they can go home and do whatever. Um, the higher up you are, the more likely you are to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Like I said, I have a lot of clients who are quite high up there, and they are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, and it's not for the money, because a lot of them have tons of money. It's... It's a sense of, it's a combination. Sometimes it's the power, but sometimes they feel they're on a mission. Um, and if you're moving down the ladder, you're more likely to uh, have plenty of time to do, you know, whatever it is is your favorite thing. Watch sports, go to yoga, meditate, chat with friends, go shopping, cook elaborate dinners, whatever it is that you like. Hard to do that when you're an executive, especially if you're often asked, as are most executives in the for and nonprofit sector, to fly around the country for some stupid meeting. I mean, <laughs> some meeting, <laughs> um, or for promotion. I had a client who had to move to Montgomery, Alabama, from here, because he was willing to uh, uh, live there in order to get a promotion to senior vice president. I had the client right before I left my home office to get here. Works in northwest Arkansas. Works near uh, where Walmart was founded. Uh, it's not his first choice. He went to Berkeley. Has an MBA from Berkeley. So, but moving up, then this guy is. He makes three hundred thousand dollars a year. But in in northwest Arkansas, which uh, <laughs> goes an awful long way, where you can get a fabulous house for two hundred thousand. We're here. It would be two million. But it's a prey. You know, many people, especially who like like living in the Bay Area, wouldn't dream of living in Bentonville, Arkansas. That's where he lives. So moving down, you have more freedom for life. And then there's a status quo. You know, stay in put. There's an argument for that. You're more likely to know what it takes to succeed on the job. You have a better sense of command of the work because you're, you know, you've done it a long time. And again, like I said, in terms of moving down, you're certainly less likely to have the imposter syndrome if you spend some time in that job. You're, there's less effort. If you're trying to find a different job, let's say I hate your boss, uh, it's going to be a lot less effort to find a, a job doing the same thing you're doing than if you're you know, trying to aspire upward, in which case you'd have to convince employers you're worthy of the promotion. Or if you're aspiring downward, you have to explain why. If you're so good, 
why in this era with unprecedentedly low unemployment you'd want a demotion. Not so easy. The natural thing is employers to think that you were you really you committed some felony or you're a drug problem or you have cancer or whatever. You know, it's hard to explain why you'd want a demotion. So those are the reasons for the status quo. So now, um, what are your thoughts? I'd like to hear your stories. If you uh, if you have had an experience, or if you are striving upward or have striven upward and have succeeded it, and how you feel about having done that, or you've actually you know deliberately moved down, or maybe not, and maybe not deliberately, maybe you've been forced downward, you've been demoted once or more, or you've stayed put in the same job for a long time. I'd like to hear your story, uh, and. If you are confused about how ambitious you should be, that's also a great reason to call. Where are you calling? You're calling KALW, your local public radio station here in San Francisco. And this show, work with Marty Nemco. The phone number, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. While we're waiting for the calls to come in. Oh, by the way, I think what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going for the first person to uh, the second. I, uh, let me not be so predictable. The second person to call will uh, to get on the air will uh, get a free copy of my book, Careers for Dummies. You'll only have to stay on the line and give your address to Joanne, the my trusty engineer, and I will. My way is I will send it out to you tomorrow. So the phone number again. If you want to share your opinion about having moved up, moved down, or stayed stayed put for a long time, or you're not sure and you'd like my advice, the phone number here at Work with Marty Nemco four one five eight four one four one three four. Let's go right to the phones. Welcome to the show. It's your turn on the air. What's on your mind? Hi, um, I uh, am a legal secretary. Uh huh. I took a, a learning annex class with you <laughs> decades ago, and uh, you said to me, you are not a legal secretary. <laughs> and I think that I was there because I was questioning and, you know, trying to figure it out. So I have had this somewhat of a, a escapist life where I have left the country to teach English, and then mm. I re-enter and I, uh, the last uh, exploit, I went and dog sat for three months in France, and <laughs> uh, I'm now in my early 60s, and re-entry uh, back, I'm in Palo Alto, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was challenging, uh, finding work. I tried a, a legal job in uh, near San Luis Obispo. That didn't work out. So anyway, I have finally landed at a good firm, mm. and I think I have a little bit of the whipped dog syndrome because Mm. it's been tough Mm. and I'm suffering from imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and I'm definitely concentrating because I'm at a really great place friendly people and law firms are not always that way right (laughs) right so uh I've been nervous right and kind of tripping over myself and fumbling and just working on mindfulness Okay. Which of the following feels like a potentially fruitful route to reducing your anxiety? One, identifying the skill or skills that you're bad at and finding somebody either within your office or outside your office to help you get up to speed. That's one possibility. Two two is um, to take a course. Three Uh three is if you're distracted to slow down 
and take deep breaths and go slower, even if you have to work more hours. Do any of those feel like they are likely to work for you? I think all three of them do. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. I rem- you know, I don't remember you, but if I told if you were a legal secretary and during one of my workshops, I said to you, I didn't think you were a legal secretary. That usually meant I felt you had more brain power than that. Is that was that the? Do you think that was my reasoning? Do you remember? <laughs> I don't. Uh, you know, I think that I looked like a hippie, and you thought I should oh. be a massage therapist. Or oh, 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 it was because it was too <laughs> conventional. Yes, you may have given off by because I think of law firms as very conformist. You, because the law is very precise and they want specific rules and they want you to do it exactly per the rules, etc., that it felt like you were more of a free spirit. That's a reason I might say you weren't a legal secretary. Yeah. Was that and it? And I am that. And that, and that is me. And is, so, and is, that, so is that part of the reason for your insecurity? I, I think it's that I'm getting older and, okay. uh, and, getting, and, I, and having had some bad experiences, like mm. afraid that something's going to unravel. Okay, so let's look at this. You said you liked all three of the things, but what about, the f- in addition, thinking about the following? You're right, it may unravel. And some people, when they're in their 60s, are, are at their very best, and other people are starting to have slower time learning or remembering or whatever. And so we don't know. But the best, right. the best antidote to the anxiety is to do those incremental things to try to improve, but accept that this may not work. Mm-hmm. Don't, you can't fight it beyond a reasonable amount. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a Christian, yeah. but the notion of not being too willful is very wise. Make your reasonable efforts, slow down so you make fewer mistakes, ask for help, spend a little more time, but accept that maybe the, the goddess of the world is saying, this is not right for you. So mm-hmm. if you succeed, great. And if not, then maybe what you describe as the hippie within you is what really needs to come out. And the hell mm-hmm. with legal secretary. Maybe there was something, quote, more hippie-ish and artsy-ish and less structured that is what you were meant to do in this perhaps last decade of your work life. What do you think about that? Um, I don't want to move in with my Trump-supporting mom. Okay. That's what I think. So I really need to get the 401k rolling and, you know, really get okay. get some money stocked away so that I can, that, that I can disconnect from the corporate world and be comfortable. Is there a kind of, you know, it may or may not be realistic. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, a Pollyanna delusional guy. I'm a realist. But mm-hmm. is there a way for you to use your natural spirit in a job that has a 401k and pays reasonably and so you don't have to move in with your mother whether she, whether she votes for Trump or not? Um, mm-hmm. when you th- if you think afresh for a minute, instead of thinking of yourself as older, which is the way you've described yourself, mm-hmm. let's say you had a, we, made a wag- wave. we waved a magic wand and you were, say, 40. Do you have any intuitions as to what career would be more a more natural fit for your personality skills? I do. I Tell do. Me about it. I'm Tell me interested about it. in. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce it right. Equine therapy. Okay, horse therapy. Equine therapy. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So what if I said, at minimum, to give yourself something fun to do and some hope and some reduction of stress on your current job, I would like you to volunteer 
at a wherever the near geographically you know, the peninsula is loaded with rich people. So I would suspect that in Atherton or in Los Gatos or it's one of those places mm-hmm. in Hillsboro, there's got to be some kind of equine stuff, whether it's yeah. officially called therapy or not. But yeah. if I wanted you to volunteer at a premier place, a place that has outstanding Yelp reviews or whatever, and yeah. and as a way of either just being restored, that being restorative, or yeah. as a, a bridge to a perhaps good-paying job uh, down the road. Now, it may not be real, but it, we have very little to lose. What do you think about that? I think this is a great counseling session for free. Thank well, you. It is my joy to do it. It is a privilege. That word privilege is used too much, but it is my privilege to do it. And I would Thank welcome you. your calling back when you feel you've either made more progress or you got stuck. Okay? Okay. Thank you, Marty. Okay. Be well. All right. I, I want to help you, too. So if you've got a work-related problem of any sort, the harder the better. Uh, really, it's really true. Um, the phone number here, work with Marty Engel for a work over. Or if you want to comment on your efforts to either move up, move down, or stay put for a long time, that's fair game, too. Those are all good reasons to call work with Marty and Emco on here on KALW, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. I want to, you know, I made an inventory in preparation for this show as well as an article I wrote. Um, but what I think really are the most important self-improvement musts. And I came up with 14, and I want to share them with you. Um, but we've got calls on the line. I always like to prioritize you. I will give out the, uh, I will share these self-improvement musts, but let's go right back to the phones. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. It's your turn on the air. Uh, how can I help you, or what do you want to tell me? Hey, Marty, good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. Um, you know, I'm calling for my wife, who is stuck in a job. Uh-huh. She's been promoted over the years, and promoted and promoted, and mm. I think she's uh, in a little over her head. Okay. And she is really uh, not enjoying the management that right. she's now become a part of. Right. And she doesn't know what to do. Pretty easy. You know, in most cases, you tell me if it's easy, or in this case, it's not. You know, it's ironic that the, the, the job of the individual contributor is extraordinarily different from the job of the people manager. Very, very different skill sets. You know, I know something about education, and the great teacher could make a horrible principal, and vice versa. So is it wise for your wife to just not do the American way and simply either tell her boss or look for another job in which she goes back to doing what she does and does well instead of staying in this management career for a small amount of money after taxes... Uh, that that you would get from being the manager and the small amount of prestige. What do you think? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the the difficult situation is I'm calling on behalf of my wife who's not with me, uh-huh. but she has this problem, and I'm trying to offer a solution. So, what do you think she'd say? I mean, I'm saying, you know, if it's, she's given it a good shot, I mean, certainly if she wants to, you know, she could try to gain some management skills. There are endless management articles, books, videos, courses, boot camps, etc., on management and leadership. Uh, but if she's made a reasonable effort, and in her heart of hearts, she says, you know what, I'm meant to be an individual contributor and not a manager or people manager then the wise thing for her to do is to cut her losses before she gets more despondent and wastes another day of huge stress. Uh, what do you think she would say if I said, go back to being an individual contributor? <laughs> I agree. She has actually said that. She, she would rather work on the floor, right. use the expression, 
then be in the management office. Right. There are a hell and, of a lot. Uh, you talk about the floor. I know a lot of people who work in factories. And there are a hell of a lot of people who would rather be on the assembly line assembling cars than trying to herd the cats of workers who come in stoned and uh, don't want to work and are, you know, and are just trying to sabotage the whole system. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement, Marty. I've been there. I understand the world. <laughs> so you tell her that uh, pain in the butt Marty Nemco says that she should be brave and do what she was meant to do on this earth, not just follow the herd of trying to strive upward like a, like a hamster climbing up a, you know, one of those ladders in those uh, uh, habit, tra- habit trails or whatever. Marty, I think you've made my life easier. Cool. Hey, that, in these stressful times, making it easier is a great thing. You want to make? Hey, could and you make my life? Could you make my life easier? Sure. Yeah, my dog like for the. I just got a dog two weeks ago, and for the first time, he pooped in the living room today. I thought I had him trained. Can you make my life easier? <laughs> I don't know if I can help you with that, Marty. <laughs> I know. Anyway, thanks a lot for calling work with Marty Nemco. Well, thank you, sir. Okay. The phone number here again, if, you, if you've got a work-related problem of any sort, dog-related or not, but it's got to relate to work or they get mad at me. I'm supposed to stay focused. So I'm staying focused on work. The phone number here, work with Marty Nemco. For what I call a work over, whether you're 16 or 76, working for-profit, non-profit, or you're unemployed, even in these times of very low unemployment, whatever the question, I don't care if you've been sitting and vaping your way into oblivion for six months, which unfortunately I'm hearing more and more people do now that we're, we've got recreation. Uh, weed, um, whatever the situation, or you're a CEO, I got a lot of experience with doctors, lawyers, executives, wherever you are in station life. I was just talking with a guy who was on a factory floor. I've been there. I'm all, all the way up and down the ladder. I can help, usually. Phone number here at Work with Marty Nemco, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. And now, again, um, first person to call will get a free copy of my book, Careers for Dummies. Um, which is particularly good for people just starting out because it exposes them to all kinds of new ideas and really step-by-step plan for getting ahead and avoiding procrastination. There, there. Of course, the phones immediately start ringing. So uh, when I get that person on the line, I am going to uh, tell her. Okay, first of all, welcome to the show. It's your turn on the air. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Now, if you want my book, Careers for Dummies, don't hang up after you and I finish talking. Stay on the line and talk to Joanne give your address, and tomorrow I will put in the mail an autographed copy of Careers for Dummies. How's that? Are you there? I've already lost you. Are you there? Oh, my God. She hated the idea of the book so much that she hung up. I'm betting she calls back. Anyway, all right. Uh, So, um... All right, instead I'm going to share those, as I promised. I like to keep my promises. Um, Oh, there she is. She's calling back again. So I'm just going to tap dance. So I've got these 14 self-improvement musts, and uh, I'm going to be sharing them in just a moment. Let's see if the second time is the charm. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. There you are. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good. So uh, I don't know if you heard the other part. If you want a copy of my book, Careers for Dummies, stay on the line after we finish talking. Give your name and address to my uh, board operator, Joanne, and I will send you a copy tomorrow. How's that? Autograph copy. That, that sounds great. That's great. Okay. So now tell me what's on your mind. So I actually um, just, I'm about to quit my job. I work for the largest cannabis company okay. in North America. Okay. 
And I was really excited. I jumped from a really successful career in corporate cosmetics to Mm -hmm. get into cannabis. And it just did not turn out to what I had hoped it would be. And the money wasn't what was promised. And the leadership there was basically just a bunch of boys, um, opposed to corporate executives, which is what I was used to dealing with. And I feel as though I'm kind of giving up on an industry that has so much room for growth and I have another job offer back in cosmetics and I'm just feeling a little torn. Okay, you have, you're dealing unfortunately with a guy, I, I can put aside my bias, but I did a review of the literature on weed for Time Magazine and later on for Psychology Today and there is so much devastating bad news that, that, the, that the cannabis industry and its, you know, its promulgators are not willing to talk about in terms of not just teen, we all know that the teenagers with their developing brain and all the rest of it, but even adults, cardiovascular risk, schizophrenia risk, depression risk, social anxiety risk, cancer risks uh, that are pretty frightening. And uh, so I'm not the guy who is going to be encouraging you to, you know, go stay in this industry that has, quote, so much promise. Uh, any more than I, you know, I'm not a big fan of alcohol either. You know, I think about all the millions of people who die because of car accidents. I see in Colorado and in Washington, you know, where the, when they legalized, the car accident rate went up. The children's drug overdoses in, 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 in hospital admissions. So you're dealing with, unfortunately, even though this is, you know, a progressive radio station, uh, you're dealing with a guy who would encourage you to go back to cosmetics, which with no negative side effects makes, and I'm, you know, I'm a guy, I'm a typical straight guy, and yet I've seen how much joy cosmetics brings to so many women without any side effects. Do you want to push back at me or you think there's some legitimacy to my position? I think that there's definitely legitimacy to your position. I think there's a lot of science that hasn't been done yet upon, you know, the long-term effects of cannabis, and I think that you know, there is definitely some valid points that you're making, 100%. Yeah. They've done a lot of long-term studies already. They found an eight-point eight, to eight point IQ loss that doesn't come back when you stop using. There's been a bunch. This is not new. And I would just invite you to look at, you know, the National Institutes of, of Health meta-evaluation of marijuana research. It's been around for, you know, it's certainly accelerating the amount of research in the last uh, few years since legalization, but it's, it's really not as benign. I mean, you know, what can I say? All right, so let's talk about... Finding you the right wonderful job that is inspiring within the cosmetics industry is that is that a reasonable use for our, of our phone call? Yeah, I didn't hear that. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So teach me something about you. First of all, do you, do you feel like telling me your first name or no? Or you can make up a name. I don't care. Yeah, my name's Kim. Hey, Kim. Okay, so Kim, if I were the what's first of all, what's your favorite cosmetics company in the universe? My favorite cosmetics company in the universe yeah. probably Chanel. Chanel. Okay, cool. So let's pretend that I am Coco Chanel's grandson and I'm now owning the, I own the whole thing. I'm the big poobah there. Okay? And I say to you, I say, Kim, you know, I, I would like to give you any job you want in Chanel as long as you do a F great <laughs> job <laughs> at it. What would be the job description? What would be the things you would do? Um, I think I would make, you know, the luxury cosmetics environment more relatable for mm. mainstream consumers. Tell me more. Um, I think, you know, there's there's a large group of people that these luxury cosmetics companies are leaving out I of 
the conversation, and I think that there's room for the conversation, even though it is a luxury brand. I think that there should definitely be more availability to be a part of, you know, a really cool company that a lot of people are interested in that are just priced out of it. I I swear to you, Kim... This is so synergistic with the trends. People are getting more informal. In the same way, I happen to learn, know something about the restaurant industry. Fine dining is declining. Informal dining is growing. People are less formal. They don't wear ties anymore. They don't, you know, people don't want formality, but they want wonderful things. And the fragrances right. of Chanel, which have been developed, the house of Chanel has been around for over 100 years, refining the finest fragrances in the world. I would think that normal people who might even dress in San Francisco grungy might enjoy wearing Chanel products. Do you think that's a fair assertion? Absolutely. Okay. So, I'm excited, actually. I'm a guy. You know, I don't give a crap about fragrance. But if I'm excited about the notion of you making that pitch, you know, the odds of Chanel saying yes is too small. But my challenge to you is to make a list of the ten luxury cosmetics companies that you would feel honorable about working and just what you did either leave voicemail create a youtube video write them a letter do some combination find somebody who is at the svp or evp level in strategy because this is a, a big strategic thing not it's not a little tactical thing this is a pretty high level thing and make your passionate case for it and um i'm betting if you do that with 10 Find one or two people, each of ten companies, you know, Estee Lauder, you know, whatever, uh, Lancome, whatever. Um, And maybe, look, you know, the same thing, the same motives that made you want to do cannabis, there's something crunchy and green about it. What about the nat? There is a hell of a lot of natural cosmetics companies that are also luxury brands. Is that not correct? That's correct. So should you not combine what is that crunchy driver that made you want to be in cannabis to find a crunchy cosmetics company as well as the traditional um you know uh chanel type brands what do you think i think that's a great idea there you go i appreciate you calling work with martin emka you're gonna when you get hired by chanel you're gonna give me a uh, a free bottle of something to give for me for me to give to my wife because she loves fragrance absolutely she loves the house <laughs> of guerlain she, she uses shalimar talk about uh, it Talk about a classic uh, brand. That is a classic, absolutely. There you go. Anyway, Kim, thanks a lot for calling work with Marty Nemco. Thanks. Yeah, it's great. Wonderful. Oh, she, I hope she stayed on the line. She can give, or she's been doing so much weed that she forgot. <laughs> I don't know. Is she there? I hope she's there. Anyway, we don't. I don't know. So anyway, if you've got a work-related problem, the phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, four one five eight four one. 4134, that's 415 841 4134. Now, as promised twice now, I, I want to share those 14 uh, self improvement musts. You know, fads come and go. Yesterday's magic pills are being replaced by the next crop of wannabe bestsellers. Like, I was just looking at forthcoming books that are in this kind of pop psych genre Slowing Down to Get Ahead, Burning Bright, and The Little Work. But some self-improvement tactics have survived the most rigorous tests, the test of time. The first is time on task. There is no substitute for time on task. Working smarter takes you only so far. And chances are, if you are listening to me talk to you about self-improvement, you're probably working about as smart as you can, yet you still feel the need to significantly improve. 
Whether you're trying to build on a strength or remediate a weakness, your choice is to push harder or be satisfied with modest growth. I don't necessarily criticize the latter. It's called satisficing. It can be a wise approach. Maybe your time could be better spent getting better at something else or taking care of necessities or just having fun. But time on task is a timeless way to improve yourself. The more time you spend in general, this points to diminishing returns, but in general, the more time you spend, the better you're going to be. Okay, number two, avoid time sucks. That's what enables people to put in the time without working too many hours. People who are big accomplishers, they avoid, like, time sucks, like watching a lot of TV, chatting a lot on the phone, playing a lot of video games, uh, playing long, you know, time-consuming sports like golf or, you know, whatever, um, clothes shopping when you already have more than enough clothes, or going to your second cousin's third wedding in Kalamazoo. Next, focus on what you can control. Successful people spend very little time jawboning about their illness, about politics, or about people they can't stand. Successful people tend to focus on what is in their sphere of influence. Next, look inward. My unsuccessful clients tend to blame their setbacks mostly on what the fancy term is externalities. Their boss, the economy, their race, their gender. In contrast, my successful clients mainly look inward to see what, if anything, they need to do differently. For example, do they need to acquire a new skill, like we were just telling the previous caller, or upgrade their attitude, or slow or stop their substance abuse, or revise their job target upward, or downward, or sideways, just like I was talking about earlier, or a whole new career that is more aligned with their natural abilities. Next, specialize. Our world is ever more complicated, and, and so it's ever more difficult to be good enough as a generalist. You've got to be at least relatively expert in some niche. For example, a generic, you know, your marriage and family therapist could well be beset by the imposter syndrome, which I talked about earlier, because there's so much science, and especially art, to marriage and family counseling. So unless you're unusually brilliant and hardworking, it's wise to specialize in something like... I don't know, what's really hot these days, every movie has got an interracial couple. Uh, intellectually gifted kids, a personal interest of mine. Men with stay-at-home wives. Specialty is a great antidote both to the imposter syndrome and makes you more likely to help and makes it easier for you to market if you're in some kind of private practice or consultancy. Next in my self-improvement musts, this is very Buddhist in Berkeley, be in the moment. Being in the moment is, I mean, it's the core of the millennia-old Buddhism, reduces unproductive, retrospective anger, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and the potentially overwhelming pondering of what's ahead. Of course, moderate planning has its place, but too much of that planning can lead to despondency about the future, as well as inhibit your ability to do a good job, to enjoy the moment, and to think about the wisest next step. I got, I'm gonna, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine more. Um, but before I get to them, I'll give out the phone number again. If you've got a work-related problem, my job here at KLW is to be free, to give you career, free career advice. Uh, hopefully, you know, they say it's, you know, it's more than what it's worth, uh, at least 10 cents. Um, anyway, I do charge reasonably uh, high rates during the week, but you get me for free, at least in small bits. The phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, 4 work over 415 
415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. And before I even give out the phone number, the lines are lighting up, so let's go to the phones. Welcome to the show. It's your turn on the air. How can I help you? Hello. Yes, it's uh, about the uh, generation gap. Okay, go ahead. I'm just curious about what your thoughts are on uh, our will and what has happened, what's happened in this country to our will to work and earn. I work in the high-tech industry in a startup, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a bit of a, I'd say, a 12-year gap between uh, management and the uh, worker bees, and it seems like the 25 to 32 uh, age group doesn't want to put in the work like I've been raised to put in the yeah. work. Well, some of and that, I, I you know, I, yeah, I don't want to overgeneralize because there's some 25-year-olds who work really hard. But, you know, we have been now, that group of, of Gen Zers, they're now Gen Zers or, you know, they're not quite millennials yet. Um, they are, they have been educated to hate the man. You know, the evils of capitalism, evils of corporations, whether they're watching the media or their college courses or whatever, they really think that corporate America and capitalism in general sucks and that they just want to make money so they can, you know, move out of their parents' house or, you know, afford a a car or whatever, go out for $12 drinks. And they want to do the least they can get away with because they have been educated that it ain't worth it. And so... You, what I would recommend is, oh, no matter what somebody's age is, really do look very hard at two things, and that's what Google. I, I you know, what Google when they hire, they look for two things, high, three things: high IQ, really brain power; two, tech expertise; and then three, drive. Not talking about drive, but do they have they evidenced on drive in high school, in college, in their previous work? If you're hiring people who are systematically lacking drive, I don't care what their age, then you haven't done a good enough job of screening them. What do you think? Uh, that's fair. That's fair, sir. There you go. I thank you for calling work with Marty Nemco. Thank you. Take care. Again, phone number 415-841-4134. What's that, the phone number for? No, it's not for free cannabis. It's it's the number for work over here at KELW if you've got a work problem. 415-841-4134. Back to the self-improvement musts that I've been sharing with you. I've certainly said this a number of times, but it's so true and important. Ready, fire, aim is a great philosophy of work life. Beware excess rumination. Growth more likely accrues from a low-risk trial and revising based on that trial than trying to upfront think of an excellent solution. You need the feedback of experience, the fancy word is empiricism, to adjust what you're doing. I like to invoke the metaphor of a person who'd like to sail from San Francisco to Hawaii. Yeah, plan. But after just moderate planning, you've got to set sail. And then, on encountering the weather, you can adjust the plan. You're going to likely get to Hawaii a lot faster than with somebody who's planning, 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 planning. Next. Invoking the Nike commercial, do it now. Even if it's not the most important thing, if it should be done, it's usually wise to just do it, not put it on the list. The list becomes a burden. My normal rule, if it takes me less than three minutes, I'm just going to do it. People are shocked that I answer emails very often instantaneously. So that I don't, you know, sometimes, of course, I have more important things to do. But generally, I very, am very responsive very quickly to email and all kinds of other little things. 
People appreciate it. I don't feel overwhelmed by seeing there's 300 emails in my inbox. So, yeah, the Nike thing, just do it. And really, you know, you're going to feel better about your life. It's usually magical thinking to think you're going to be more likely to do it later. You know, you're just going to get overwhelmed by the the, the to-do list, the inbox, whatever. If you can't do it now, at least get started now or at least schedule it. Next to the self-improvement musts I want to share, use rewards and punishments. Yeah, there are some people who are intrinsically motivated to get stuff done. But a lot of people, you know, wouldn't work if they weren't paid. And they're more likely to work harder for a bonus or to avoid a bad review. So the motivating effects of rewards and punishments are critical, and it starts early. Even most kids are motivated to do that homework when they, you know, they're feeling, why do I need to know this? But they're motivated to do it. Why? Because of rewards and punishments, to get a good grade or at least avoid a bad one. And in the adult self-improvement realm, giving yourself rewards and punishments can motivate you to do what you should do, but isn't fun. And fortunately, in that realm, you can choose the rewards and punishments that motivate you. Like, you might think, all right, I'll do that yucky task, or at least a chunk of it, and then I'll play a video game for 10 minutes. Or you might be motivated by fear of punishment. This is the converse. For example, giving a friend a check to your least favorite political candidate, and if the task isn't done on time, the friend mails the check. Or another self-improvement must chart your progress. That can be as simple as next to your desk, hanging a hand-drawn thermometer with milestones on the side, you know, like nonprofits when they're trying to raise money. Or give yourself a daily letter grade, A to F. Either keep that grade to yourself or share it with you, with a friend, your relative, your mother, social media friends, whatever. The next self-improvement must, spend time with people who bring out the best in you whether it's a boss or romantic partner or platonic friend or activity partner, some people bring out the best in us while others drag us down. Now, of course, you can't always control those in your life, but when you have some discretion, try to spend time with those who help you flower. Next, take the time to find a fine mentor or two. That's a generous person who is successful and ethical in what you're trying to develop, or who's an all-around winner. That, that person's a treasure. How do you find such a mentor? You ask a question of one or more people you respect, and if that person responds well to that one question, you offer to be of help in any way you can, so it's some reciprocity. Even if they say no, they'll realize at least that you're not narcissistic about it. And after a while, if you do your part, and if you're lucky... Your mentor's going to offer more help and maybe become your champion and be willing to open crucial career doors for you. Give out the phone number again. You've got a work-related problem. I do workovers here at KALW. Price is right, zero. Whatever your work problem, the harder the better. Phone number, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. The next self-improvement must avoid excess materialism. This has become a cliche, but that's because it's so true. Beyond a bare middle-class lifestyle, the pursuit and acquisition of stuff usually exceeds the opportunity costs. For example, being stuck in a lucrative but unrewarding career. To boot, materialists are chained to the hedonic treadmill, needing ever bigger and less essential purchases to get shoppers high. The next self-improvement must, the body is the temple of the spirit. You are so impeded if you abuse your body. 
for example, by overeating, smoking, or abusing alcohol, weed, or other drugs. Treat your body with even more love than you deserve, and you will reap benefits well beyond your efforts. Two more self-improvement musts. Resolve to rebound. You've heard it before, but it's true. Even highly successful people fail. The difference between them and other people? Successful people tend to force themselves, yeah, force themselves to rebound and not wallow. They see if there's a lesson to be learned from that failure, but then they immediately resolve to succeed at something at least as big. And at the risk of being personal, when I was let go as a columnist of the San Francisco Chronicle, after an hour, yeah, just one hour of feeling outraged, I channeled my anger. I said, I'll show them. I'll go national. And that very day, I sent my clips to 10 national publications. And since then, I've written a lot for publications like Time, The Atlantic, and Psychology Today. And finally, baby steps. If you look up at the top of the mountain, you may well find that whatever task you're facing is just insurmountable. But it's corny, I know, but it's corny and stuff and cliches are, they become cliches because they're true. If you put one foot in front of the other and before you know it, you're likely going to look back down and be surprised how far you've come. Across my 5,600 career and personal coaching clients, Baby Steps has been the most effective, if obvious, self-improvement tactic. I hope it or one of the myriad self-improvement musts that I've just given you will be helpful for you. Okay, uh, next. Again, phone number one, I work over, got a work problem, 415-841-4134. And the first person who call will get a free copy, autographed copy of my book, Careers for Dummies, which is particularly good for people just starting out, either maybe you know two years either side of college graduation. It's That's who it's perfect for. Phone number 415 841 Four one three four. I now want to talk about an under-discussed key to reducing procrastination. I'll explain it this way. If you hit a dog a few times, the dog's going to learn to avoid you. It's like the previous caller talked about the whipped dog syndrome. Similarly, if your experience in doing tasks is often painful, you're going to soon avoid tasks. In other words, you're going to become a procrastinator. So what I'm about to share with you, I think, may help replace your mindset that task equals odious and replace that with task equals neutral or even task equals pleasant. First, can you adapt a task? Where possible, choose or adapt tasks so they capitalize on your strengths and skirt your weaknesses. For example, let's say your boss tells you to create a report. Your co-workers' similar reports are replete with quantitative data analysis, but you're bad at those and you're better as an interviewer or maybe a storyteller. So you might ask your boss if your report might at least partly include some interviewing and an anecdote or two. And for the quantitative part, instead of trying to struggle through it yourself, and it probably still ending up worse than in the ones in your colleagues' reports, see if you can find a quantitative person to help you. So adapt the task can often be a key to making tasks more pleasant and therefore not procrastinate. The second key to making tasks more pleasant is to build in the pleasant to do the task a more pleasant way. Beyond just adapting it to your strengths, like I just said, would it be more fun if you did the task while you were listening to music? Or if you did it in 10-minute bursts followed by a few minutes of playtime? If you did chart your progress, like with that thermometer I mentioned with you with the baby steps on the side, you'd color it in, would that motivate you? If you adapted the assignment to suit your interests, like let's say your spouse tells you to clean out the garage and you hate cleaning, 
but you like building things. Maybe you'd be motivated to clean up the darn garage if you bought and assembled an Ikea cabinet to store the stuff that you do want to keep. And the third and final key to making tasks more pleasant and therefore reduce your risk of procrastinating, use what I call the one-minute struggle. Maybe the most potent way to convert a task from yucky to at least tolerable is what I call the one-minute struggle. What makes tasks particularly odious is reaching a roadblock and being unable to get past it. So you sit and maybe stare at a computer screen forever, waiting for inspiration that never comes, and that's really painful and makes you want to procrastinate. Instead, if you use the one-minute struggle technique, you're struggling with a stumbling block for just one minute. And after that, if you haven't made progress, you choose one of these. Either, yeah, maybe decide to continue struggling for another minute, or get help, or decide you can do the task without solving that roadblock, or decide to come back to it later. You, you may be more likely to conquer it with fresh eyes, you know, when you have fresh eyes, and when you've had the benefit of having done more of a task. Using those tactics, just those three, adapting the task, building in the pleasant, and using the one-minute struggle, can, sometimes, make procrastination-prone people and procrastination-prone tasks more pleasurable, and in turn, little by little, as I said up front, the idea of tackling a task is going to be associated less with misery and more with at least neutrality, plus the good feeling and benefits of getting the darn thing done. So it's an under-discussed key to reducing procrastination. Phone number again if somebody would like a workover. The phone number here, work with Marty Nemco and KALW. Your work-related problem is my uh, good radio time here. <laughs> phone number 415-841-4134. I will give a free copy to the first person to call. Free copy of what? My book, Careers for Dummies, autographed. Perfect for people just starting out in life. 415-841-4134. Um, now I want to, you know, as we come toward the end of the show... Um, the concept that I have learned in school that has most affected my day-to-day thinking is this guy, Lawrence Kohlberg, he came up with these six stages of moral development. At the highest stage, decisions are based on what is universally, cosmically wisest. This little, little mini-lecture that I'm about to give you is going to encourage you to do the same, to think cosmically. Many people make decisions based heavily on what's going to give them the most pleasure. That's the pursuit of happiness meme. Or they operate from what they believe is going to indirectly provide the most pleasure to them. That is the pursuit of money or of what's easy. Well, there's a foundational principle that is less fun and more challenging, but that usually leads to a much better led life, and that is to think cosmically. For example, in choosing a career, it's tempting to go for the most money. That's why so many hotshot graduates pursue a career in financial services, stock picking, investment banking, bond trading, stuff like that. And that's true even though, for example, those careers generally yield much less good to society, certainly, uh, than do many other professions. You see, if a, a stocks and bond client makes money, another person's got to lose the same amount. So in other words, if somebody buys a stock at a certain price, the other person's got to sell it at the same price. And worse, the client's got to pay a commission and so it makes even less. Those stocks and bond people, they're kind of like gambling casinos. Whether the customer wins or loses, the house always gets its piece. And people choose careers like that. Yeah, because the money buys more stuff, fancier car, house, furniture, jewelry, vacations. But also because they may infer that big numbers imply big worthiness. Of course, that's a shallow definition of worthiness. 
But now let's contrast that with the worthiness of a person who, let's say, got a degree in bioethics, and their job is to guide healthcare practitioners and patients, family members, in making decisions that are going to yield the most good. You know, like whether she should get pregnant when she's got a predisposition to breast cancer. And after acquiring more frontline experience, this person aspires to guide government or nonprofits or for profit healthcare entities in adopting policies and practices that are cosmically wise. There's that word cosmically again. I'm using it because it implies that decision making should consider in full dimension that is, the individual implications, the local implications, the societal implications, and perhaps hardest to understand the universal implications. The cosmic values such as justice versus mercy and merit versus egalitarianism, that's the highest level of moral thinking and has profound implications for career choice. So in that bioethics example I just gave, those universal factors bear on such central questions, thorny questions, like under what circumstances is it appropriate to pull the plug or even actively kill a person? Under what circumstances, if any, Should a physician withhold full disclosure to an end-stage cancer patient? What are the ethical implications of a genome-altering intelligence quote-unquote pill? Are there sufficient ways to mitigate the downsides? Should an illegal immigrant have the right to the same level of health care as a legal resident who has for decades paid into the system? That has life and death implications for all concerned. What are the ethical responsibilities of genome companies like 23andMe, to disclose information to a person about their being at risk of a disease for which no preventive or cure is even on the horizon. I think most of you would agree that the bioethicist is living a hell of a better led life than is the bond trader. I'm aware that urging this kind of cosmic thinking is both, it seems a little holier than thou and sanctimonious, as well as it ignores the emotional element that often governs human decisions. But even if a few of you think a bit more cosmically as you decide how to spend your time and money, I think that this little mini-lecture would have been worth it from a cosmic perspective. Anyway, we have a few more minutes. I'll give out the phone number one more time. If you've got a work-related problem of any sort, unemployed, well-employed, and still unhappy, for-profit, non-profit, 16 or 76, the phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, forward, I call it work over, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Uh, those of you who know, I, um, I tweet regularly uh, as a way of archiving my best thoughts. And then periodically I uh, go through them and pick the ones that I think are best uh, and most useful, and I share them with you. But as usual, I prioritize you, my dear listeners. So let's go to the phones. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. It's your turn on the air. What's on your mind? How you doing, Marty? I am well. What gives me the honor of the call? Well, uh, I have a question. So I'm currently uh, looking for a job. I love my current job, but I'm trying to move closer to my uh, spouse. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of at the stage where I'm hitting a lot of walls because I'm submitting applications to online systems. Right. And that, that's kind of hard to get past that. Absolutely. So I've, I've tried to polish up my resume and I've actually looked up some of the tips you give online. Uh-huh. So... Uh, I think I'm doing pretty well, but should I focus more of my efforts on continuing to polish that, or should I try and find other ways 
to seek employment and try and get in contact with employers. It usually it depends, but certainly normally after the first two, hour or two primping your resume, you've long you reach a point of diminishing returns. Sure, in your applications, you should make sure that you have keywords embedded in your resume. Uh, that uh, or and LinkedIn profile that match uh, what's in key you know what you think that automated tracking system is likely searching for so that's certainly fine and it also depends on uh, the kind of work you do how good you are at it tell me what kind of work you do and what kind of, and if you're looking for the same kind of work uh, I'm an engineer I'm looking for the same type of work and I'm about four or five years into my career that's great that's good that's pretty ideal what kind of engineer uh I'd rather not say. That's all right. That's I all right. Like that. Not that critical. It's fine. Um, so, uh, there are basically only four ways to land a job. If you're pretty good, if your resume and you know very often these automated tracking systems look at uh, what school you graduated from. So, you know, if you graduated from Cal, Stanford, Berkeley, Harvard, Yale, Caltech, MIT. Um, that's going to, you know, draw a lot. If you haven't, you're less likely to make it past the ATSs, especially for high-level jobs. Or in engineering, I mean, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo is probably fine, too. Do you, did you go to a designer-label school like that or no? Uh, I went to a school that specializes in my field. It's uh, well-known in that, that field. Outstanding. Okay. Um, are you somebody who... So the four ways are answering ads... Reaching out to executive external recruiters, uh, of course, placing a good LinkedIn profile so that uh, these days recruiters are searching those LinkedIn profiles uh, to reach out to people, uh, your existing network of people, professional and personal, and finally, direct contact with people with the power to hire you at target companies. Um, and have, have you used all of those or have you relied pretty much on ads, which is what you've implied? Uh, mostly ads, and I'd like to get in contact with recruiters, but I'm not really sure how. Okay. Um, sometimes the best the best way to do that is, uh, is your kind of engineering kind of a narrow niche? If you went to a school that was a specialty place in that, do you uh, are there target companies in the locale that you'd like to, you know, where your wife lives, that would be uh, uh, particularly a, a dream place to work? Uh, yes, there's about four or five of them. Great. So all I would do, and the show's almost over, so let me give you a quick advice. Uh, go on either the website of those companies or on LinkedIn and search on the intersection. There's a people search on the intersection between the school you graduated from and each of those employers. The intersection of those two, because they're going to value the fact that you went to that school because they went there, plus that they're, uh, they're in a position to hire you. Also search by on, on job title you know, like supervising engineer, engineering manager, um, and then write a compelling argument for why you're really looking for the job being just your wife and that you really are quite good at the various things that uh, that company specializes in. That's my best advice given the little limited time we have. How's that sound? Outstanding. I'll give it a try. Thank you so Very much. Good. Very good. And that is Work with Marty Nemco for this week. I want to thank my board operator, Joanne Marr, and, of course, all of you for listening and calling in. Please join me again next Thursday at 7. You can call in for a workover. Plus, there are myriad job titles in the fast-growing and lucrative field of financing, and some are even pro-social. Finance career expert Todd Massage and I are going to disentangle the mess and offer some under-the-radar cool careers. Until then, this is Marty Nemco reminding you that we find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't. Oh, 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 oh,